The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Making Money Fun with Shanna Tinjum. Like you, Shanna had all kinds of questions about money and finances from a very young age. She learned to not be frightened of financial discussions and became an expert on managing money in the process. Shanna and her guests are here to demystify money, investing, and personal finance. Discussions in this show should not be construed as specific recommendations or investment advice. Always consult with your investment professional before making important investment decisions. Securities offered through Cambridge Investment Research, Inc., a registered broker-dealer, member FINRA SIPC. Shanna Tinjum, Investment Advisor Representative, Cambridge Investment Research Advisors, Inc., a registered investment advisor. Cambridge, guests on this show and Heritage Financial Strategies are not affiliated. Let's get started. Here's your host, Shanna Tinjum. Welcome back to Making Money Fun. My name is Shanna Tinjum. I am your host. Thank you so much for joining us today. And we have a wonderful subject and a great guest. And this is a subject that's kind of near and dear to my heart, which is talking to your spouse about money. There's so much that goes into money and savings and investing and spending that, that it's a it's such a broad subject. And, and I wanted to really do a deeper dive into that today. And I am uh, have a personal kind of um, affinity for this subject because it's something that my husband Eric and I have had to deal with throughout our marriage. Um, we've been married 11 years, and when we met in 2003, he had just gone through the uh, 2001 kind of craziness with 9/11, and I had a real tough time kind of pulling his business back out of the abyss, if you will, and was working like crazy, just insane hours to try to pay off his sub, uh, his office and uh, keep from having to uh, file bankruptcy, essentially. And he got real good at earning money, but he hadn't really developed the skills on how to spend it. And when we got married, I noticed that he had debt, but he also had a huge amount of money in his checking account. And I asked him why he wasn't just paying off the debt with his money that was in his checking account. And what it really came down to was the fear of what had just happened happening again. He didn't want to do that because he really thought and and realized that, that what had just happened was, was uh, it's a good possibility it could happen again in the future. And so we, we worked through that. And in 2007, things were going well for both of us. He's a government contractor, was and still is today. And I was in the mortgage business, which is always good, right? Nothing bad ever happens <laughs> in the mortgage business. And uh, then 2008 uh, occurred, and you know we kind of saw that coming with all of the craziness in the mortgage business and the subprime mortgage market. But we didn't realize. Um, thankfully, we were saving a lot of money at that time and, and putting a lot of money aside. And what we didn't realize is that I'd be laid off, and he would lose his biggest client pretty much in the same week. 
um, in 2007, uh, end of 2007, beginning of 2008. And so thankfully, we had a, a lot of savings and were able to take a detour and spend a couple of years in San Francisco earning some money. But that's something that really tested our ability as a couple to save and, and spend and budget. And that is sort of where I come from as, uh, you know, really having a heart for helping people get through those tough times, even though that's not what I do for my business. I have a very fabulous special guest here, and that is all she does in her business. So I'd like to introduce all of you that are listening to today to Kelsa Dickey with Fiscal Fitness. Hey, Kelsa. Hi, Shanna. Thanks for having me. <laughs> You're very welcome. And I was super excited to meet Kelsa because this is not something that is my strength as an investment advisor. I can help people um, come up with a budget. I can even help them look at the budget for ways that they're kind of wasting money, but I'm not the one that's going to tell them to stop going to Starbucks. Uh, <laughs> but you will. I will, yes. <laughs> and so, Kelsa, tell us a little bit about how you ended up with the company that you have now, because it's a very unusual concept that you have. Yeah, thank you. So I joke that I made up the term financial coach because I feel like I was a financial coach for a lot longer uh, before it actually became a thing. Mm. So, But it started back when I was in middle school, and I saw my mom file bankruptcy. And my mom had a great job. She was a very hardworking individual. And I remember seeing her sit at the dining room table and try to get control over things. I remember her sitting there for hours with, you know, stacks of paper and uh, try to juggle things. And at the end of the day, she ended up having to file bankruptcy. And I just, mm -hmm. I remember seeing her face till this day. I think I'll always be able to see that face um, in my mind of just how that affected her self-worth. And the love of her job is affected if you feel like you're working hard but don't have anything to show for it. And I remember just learning at a young age that money affects your life. Whether that is in a good way or a bad way, it is probably going to have an impact. Unfortunately, it's sort of the game we're all forced to play. Mm -hmm. You know, we touch money every day for the most part. Right. Um, and so I, when I was a senior in high school, a college, college recruiter came to my school and said, what do you want to be when you're older? And I said, I want to help people with their money. And so he said, well, you should become a financial advisor. Of course. Because, so, uh, again, financial coach really isn't a thing, you right. know. So he said, you should be a financial advisor. And I was like, I love that idea. So I got my degree in finance, practiced as a financial advisor, fully licensed for a few years. But what I found was that the part of my job that I loved the most was actually helping people with the budgeting. Mm. But as a financial advisor, that's not really where your time is best spent. Right. So, But I didn't really want to be doing the investments or the insurance. <laughs> I wanted to be sitting there, you know, helping them crunch numbers from the day-to-day -day standpoint. And so I joked that I had sort of a quarter-life crisis. I went into corporate <laughs> America um, because I thought, well, financial advisors or financial advising isn't for me. Mm -hmm. So I went into corporate America and slowly but surely I just started helping people sort of on the side. It was purely a hobby. I joke that my hobby is budgeting, which is weird <laughs> to a lot of people. Yes. But uh, And then eventually over the last... Uh, over the f first few years of doing that, I just got busier and busier. And, it, you know, every day after work and all day on Saturday, I'd be sitting at my dining room table helping people with budgeting. And so oh finally, one day I realized, what in the world am I doing all day? Like, this is what I meant to do. And this is what who I meant to be. And so uh, my husband and I, Michael, we planned... We're, we're planners, for <laughs> sure. So, uh, you know, it probably took me a year to actually leave corporate America. And, you know, what would I call myself? Fiscal fitness. He actually came up with the name. I do have to give him credit for that. And that was uh, back in about 2008. Wow. So, mm -hmm. Wow. That is such a cool story. Thank and, you. you know, that th I know Kelso real well from being uh, referral partners for a, a lot of years. And that's one of the things that I know about what I do. And you mentioned it as well, is that money is such an emotional topic and we have to deal with it. It's not like something where we, some people do ignore it 
And those right. are the people that mm-hmm. end up in your office first and then my <laughs> office. Um, but it's not something we can just really ignore. We have to, at some level, learn how to play the game. Yes. And that's where I think a lot of people get into trouble is that we're not really taught how to play the game, are we? No. And I, I really don't think if your sole motivation of playing the game is to have more money, I don't even think that that's what it's about. Mm. I feel like if you're if you've ever gone out to eat with your kids and the whole time you're wondering, God, how am I going to make my car payment later this month? Or, Mm. you know, you're at the office and you're trying to work, but you're thinking, God, am I going to be able to make my mortgage payment? Mm. I feel like not being in control of our money makes us not present in the parts of life that really do matter. Right. And so simply controlling our money makes it so that we're more present in, in those areas. It's not money itself that's necessarily important. It's the impact that it has on the rest of our life that Got makes it. it important. Okay, that makes sense. So and I do feel like most people... They just wing it because they're never taught. Like I say, people, not everybody comes into my office on the verge of bankruptcy or with debt even. Right. Some people just come in and they say, I'm making the kind of money other people would love to make, and I have no idea what I'm doing with it. They Mm -hmm. don't have a system. They don't have a process. They sort of, like I said, wing it, Mm -hmm. and they know that they could be doing something better, but we're not really taught what that better is. Oh, that's a great point. That's a great point. So you teach them how to do it better. I do. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. That's exciting. Thank you. That, that's really cool. So tell me um, what you think from, you know, your years of many, many years of doing this. What are some tips that we can give those that are listening to really help them communicate better with their spouse about money? Good question. So the first thing is, I think, just to realize how important it is to talk about money. And unfortunately, the reason that it's important is not a good reason. So it is the number one cause of divorce. Mm. It is also money stress is the number one cause of stress in our country. So um, we need to talk about it to hopefully combat the uphill battle we already have with it. And so one of the tips that I give people is to try and come to the table. um, There's two things in bite-sized chunks. So don't try to have a money talk and have it be an hour long. It's too (laughs) exhausting. Start with just 10, 15 minutes at a time. Take a step back. Even if it feels like you didn't resolve anything, still just take a step back. Try and do it in bite-sized chunks because this conversation, you don't want it to be too cumbersome. Right. Okay? And if you don't want to go from zero to 100, like do it. We (laughs) we never talk about money, and now we're trying to talk about it for an hour at a time. Right. Okay? Um, And then the other thing is, you know, try and have fun with it. You know, maybe have a glass of wine or a beer or something like that. Make it a little bit more relaxed and try really hard to not bring any baggage to that conversation, which is so, I mean, it's easier to say than it is to do. (laughs) Um, And that's why I do think sometimes an expert like me is really important because I can facilitate that conversation and I don't have baggage in that. Right, You know, So some people will say, well, you say that because that's what your ex-husband did to you. (laughs) Or, um, well, I don't spend that way just because your mom spent that way. Do you know what I mean? Like you're always referring... you know, we're bringing to the table experiences that we have with others. Right. And so it's easy to get defensive. Right. Um, and so, but for me, I go to that conversation and I don't have baggage in the relationship. <laughs> so it's easy for me to say, let's talk about this. This is why it's important for that person, not because of the baggage, but right. because of this. Right. You know? Well, and, and I don't know if you find this too, but sometimes what I find is it's even baggage of what's happened in the past with that person you're sitting there with. Like you've always done this or you never did that. And, and then that becomes a source of contention to try to resolve whatever the issue is and move forward. Do you find that as well? So true, yes. And there are times where I just have to say, you know what, we're not talking about the past. We're talking about the future. (laughs) Let's focus on the future and let's change this. You know, I past behavior does not 
dictate what we're going to do in the future. That's my rule of thumb. Just because we've it. done it in the past, we're smarter now. Yeah. Hopefully. We've learned something. We've gained some really good experience from that. And now let's do something different going forward. Yeah, absolutely. Now, do you find, I, I kind of really believe in that it that money, whether it's saving, spending, investing, should be a team effort in the household. And and I find that that isn't always the case today. And I and I've, I also see sometimes that that creates struggles that don't need to exist. How do you feel about that? I completely agree. So I don't subscribe to this idea that both people need to sit down and pay bills together. I think <laughs> right. it's, I mean, it's so easy nowadays with bill pay or automatic pay and online systems that it really isn't a two-person job. And we're mm-hmm. all so busy nowadays yeah. running around that it doesn't take two people to sit down at the computer and do it, but it does take two people to sit down and make decisions together about if we're short or if we have extra, mm-hmm. how are we combating that? Mm-hmm. That takes two people. Yeah. So um, I do oftentimes see where um, you know people have two different checking accounts, for example. Mm-hmm. So it's like his money versus her money or her money and her money kind of situation. And what happens is that might work for a little while, mm-hmm. but what ultimately ends up happening at some, po- some point is that you end up seeing two different lifestyles being lived under the same roof. Wow. So one person is maybe struggling on how they're going to, you know, buy kids clothes or groceries. And the other person is thinking is planning their next vacation. Wow. And it's because they're financially, you know, bringing to the table something different and they're not working together as a team. Sure. So do you believe that the two different checking accounts, his, hers, and ours could work? Or do you believe that it should all be coming out of it like a central checking and savings account? The latter. So my ideal setup is that all the income comes into one checking account. So that's the hub. All the bills get paid out of there. Now from there, you can have a set transfer go into each of your individual checking accounts. So like if I wanted my own spending checking account and my husband wanted his own, Mm -hmm. a transfer would go from the joint hub to that on a set schedule and we would agree on it, that sort of thing. And it doesn't, you know, one of the things that I try to stress with couples that it doesn't always have to be fair. Right. So if I'm the one that does primary all the grocery shopping for the household, my cash number in my spending account probably needs to be a little bit higher right. than what my husband's is if he's not the one doing the grocery shopping. This is just an example. Sure. You know? Um, so, but you each get your own separate amount and then the debit transactions happen from there and there's not a whole bunch of debit card transactions then inside of that joint checking account. Mm. But the other reason that's really crucial is because the money comes into there and if all the bills are paid and you say, you know what, we're actually short a little bit, well then you can decide to take less into each of your own spending accounts. But if it's all done automatically, then that decision can't be made. Mm, That's a good point. That's a really good point. So then do you believe also another thing I I hear a lot about are, you know, cash, spending cash versus spending credit versus spending debit. Um, And I think our society has programmed us that, you know, credit cards, debit cards are the only way you can live. Um, But tell me a little bit about kind of how you believe that should work. Okay. I do love cash. I really do. It is probably the thing when I recommend it to people that I get the most pushback on. So (laughs) nobody, you're right, nobody wants wants to actually take out cash. Uh, The way I recommend doing it is where you take out one lump sum of cash. So you, instead of having you know, this idea of a, a cash envelope system, which is you have to go into the bank, get the right denominations because you have to then come home and you have a grocery envelope and an eating out envelope mm-hmm. and a dry cleaning envelope and a dog envelope or whatever. Yeah. Um, I feel like what ends up happening after a while is that because that's so time consuming and cumbersome, a person ends up just sort of borrowing from one envelope to another. Yes. What I recommend is that on payday, you simply take out how much cash you need for all of those things. Okay. And you just spend that for two weeks or one week, whatever your sort of denomination is and timeline. Okay. Um, I think about my own life and there are weeks where 
I go to grocery store on Sunday. I do all my meal prep. I cook at home every meal. I take my lunch every day. And I joke that I'm like a domestic goddess, right? (laughs) Right. And then there are weeks where maybe the baby is sick. Maybe I'm traveling a lot for work. We're running around like crazy. We're in pure survival mode. And maybe we're doing takeout a ton, but I probably didn't go to the grocery store either. Right. So in my world, like that's just life. Right. And I feel like that's how it happens for most people is that life is not always easy from one week to the next. So if we can separate... You just take it all out. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter whether it's eating out or groceries. This right. is what I have, and I can just spend that. Now, the one exception is where you can do the spending account, where sure. you can just transfer to a checking account and use that. But I do want it separate from the bills. Okay. That's a mm-hmm. great point. So separating the stuff that's that's flexible mm-hmm. from the stuff that is pretty much set in stone. I mean, your mortgage payment, your insurance payment, those are pretty much going to be what they are on a month-to-month basis, right? Yes, exactly. Okay. that's a That's a great point. And then... The um, transferring it to the the secondary account and using the debit card out of there keeps you from overdrawing that bill account, right? It does. And if you think about it, it's one of those things where if I look at my checking account today and I see $1,300 in there, Mm -hmm. but a bill that's supposed to clear three days from now obviously hasn't cleared yet. I think people are in this trap of constantly checking the available balance on Mm. their phone, like on their phone all the time, when really that term available balance is very misleading because (laughs) it's You've already committed that money to somebody else, right? Yeah, and your bank doesn't know what's going to clear three days from now. Right. you know, if you can know ahead of time, here's the bills I have in this pay period, here's what I have left, I'm going to transfer that money to a spending account, that money can then get spent from there. Oh, that's a that's a really great point. I love that. So that big lump sum of cash then gets split between husband and wife or partners mm-hmm. in this in the relationship based on kind of how they purchase for the family, correct? Yes, exactly. Oh, wow. That's, that's, that's amazing. And so then they can really look at that on a monthly basis and, and look at the excess overage or shortage and figure out as a team how to deal with that. Exactly. Hmm. Yep. Okay. It also stops the conversation of who put what on the debit card the night before, <laughs> right? which is I hear so many uh, couples are in that sort of trap where if it's all coming in and out of the checking account, the person who's responsible for paying the bills is thinking, well, I had a bill that needed to get paid mm. out of there. And the other person's thinking, well, I saw money in there. I didn't know. I had to go get <laughs> diapers, right? Right. And so the other person says, well, what did you buy at... Target for a hundred dollars, right. and it's that it feels like an accusation. Sure, it starts the conversation off in a very defensive way, in a very mm-hmm. negative way, and I actually feel like that conversation can be a little toxic. I agree completely. Mm-hmm. And do you feel that that's kind of one of the reasons why people kind of get into debt? Unwillingly, maybe sometimes. Yeah, because it's easier to put it on there where it's going to be sight unseen. Yeah, a little bit, or at and least maybe until the spouse next month. doesn't have to look at yeah. it, or they don't have to deal with it immediately. Mm-hmm. Wow, I think that that's that's a great point. Uh, what I find in my practice a lot is that people happen into debt. They don't intend to do it. Yeah. But it just sort of it's you know the the disorganization or the uh, unwillingness to face the situation sort of spirals. Yes. And here we are talking about you know a lot of credit card debt that they don't have really anything. Thing to show for. I think there's a quote, I can't remember who said it, but it's a, uh, you can happen into debt, but you can't just happen out of it. I love like that. it takes intention to get out of debt. Yeah. And you know what? Um, before we go to the break, that's what I want to start with when we come back from the break is talking about some tips and techniques and tricks for, you know, what are some of the first steps we can take if we find ourselves in that situation to really get ourselves organized, plan to get out of debt and then sort of start to implement that debt debt payoff strategy because I know there are lots of schools of thought on that Mm -hmm. and I know you have some opinions on that as well so (laughs) that is what we want to talk about when we come back from the break you're listening to Making Money Fun with Shanna Tinjum
comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you going through a life change like divorce, death of a spouse, or starting a business? Are you tired of financial professionals talking at you instead of with you? Are you worried that you may not have enough money to retire or to live the lifestyle you want in retirement? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then you need to contact Heritage Financial Strategies today. At Heritage Financial Strategies, we'll get to know your goals and dreams and design a plan together to get to achieve those dreams. Call 480-397-1184 or visit heritagefinancialad.com. My goal is to develop a relationship where you feel like you can ask me any question and know that I'll give you an honest answer. Again, that's 480-397-1184 or heritagefinancialad.com. Shanna Tinjum, registered representative, securities offered through Cambridge Investment Research, Inc., a broker-dealer, member FINRA, SIPC. Shannon Tinjum, investment advisor representative, Cambridge Investment Research Advisors, Inc., a registered investment advisor. Cambridge and Heritage Financial Strategies are not affiliated. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are listening to Making Money Fun with your host, Shanna Tinjum. To reach Shanna or her guest today, call into the program at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You may also send an email to Shanna at heritagefinancialaz.com. Now, back to Making Money Fun. Welcome back, everyone. My name is Shanna Tingem, your host, and this is Making Money Fun. The subject today is talking to your spouse about money. And before the break, we talked a little bit with Kelsa Dickey of Fiscal Fitness about how people sort of happen into debt. And I absolutely believe what she said, which is it's very, very easy to find yourself there, but it's a lot harder to get out. And the first thing that I want to ask Kelsa is before we even really start about start talking about paying off the debt, what are some of the ways people can save money so that they can find that money in order to start paying off debt? What are some easy saving strategies? The first one, and like I said, people are going to push back on this, is to actually switch to cash. Okay. Uh, it really is one of the fastest ways to save the most money. Okay. Because you will, you know, studies show that you'll quite quickly start spending 20% less wow. just by changing how you pay for something. So that 20%, groceries, from what I see, groceries and eating out are a very huge line item on most people's budgets. So 20%, we're talking sometimes a couple hundred dollars, you wow. know. So it is a very quick way to save money. Uh, going through all of your bills periodically and just reviewing them, making sure you're not getting charged for anything that you didn't know about. Mm. I see that all the time where when we take a look at it, I'm like, hey, did you know you're paying for this? And people think, oh, I didn't even know. It's like $7 here, $12 there, but it really adds up. Okay. Um, And then really just asking yourself, you know, what do I need versus Mm -hmm. want, of course, and Mm -hmm. and really covering the needs first until you get out of debt. Got it. Mm -hmm. So then once we we start paying attention and we start employing some of those strategies to save the money, what's the best method? best method for paying it off. I mean, I, I've heard of the snowball method. I've, I've heard of starting with the highest interest rate. I've heard of starting with the one that has the most emotional baggage. What do, what do you think? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I actually say that there are four common ways okay. of uh, paying off debt. 
the first one is the one most popular by Dave Ramsey. It's called the snowball. It's where you put them in order of balance, mm-hmm. and you pay off the one with the smallest balance. Okay. Uh, the idea there is that you get a quick win, mm-hmm. and that's absolutely true. Like mm-hmm. if you are paying off debt, you know, really quickly, you feel really good about that. The second one is called the avalanche. It's favored by Susie Orman. Okay. Uh, and it is the idea that you put them in order of interest rate, and you pay off the one with the highest interest rate first. With the idea being that that one's costing you the most money. Okay. There's actually another one. Uh, Robert Kiyosaki talks about this, which okay. is the one with the highest payment amount. Oh, okay. So he doesn't include real estate because he kind of likes real estate, <laughs> as you know. Yeah, that's okay on real estate yeah. as far as he's concerned. Right. But yeah. So, and he says take the one with the highest payment amount. Uh, once you free that up, you're freeing up the most cash in your budget. Hmm, okay. So, which is true. That is how that would work, right? Yeah. Um, and then I always say the one with the most emotional baggage is the fourth one, which is if you have a debt and you look at it and you just think, I hate that. I hate that decision I made. And you kind of keep beating yourself up. Um, we're going to pay off that one first. Mm. So, an example I have of that is I had a client. Um, she had three credit cards, each with about $5,000 on them. Mm-hmm. And one of those was the $5,000 that she paid her attorney for her divorce. Ooh. And so, of course, every time she made that monthly payment, she sort of relived that yeah. and made her you know, bitter and jaded and sad all yeah. over again. And so it's like, let's get that reminder out of your life. So the one thing I want to point out about all these different strategies, they all say pick one debt and throw everything extra to it, they simply disagree on which debt that should be. Hmm. What you don't want to do is you don't want to have, if you've got five debts, you don't want to throw an extra hundred, an extra hundred, an extra hundred, an extra hundred to like each one. Right. You want to pick, you want to pay the minimums on everything, pick one debt and throw everything you can to it until it's gone and then you switch. If you are paying off debt, you are doing something right. Yes. So, you know, one of my jobs is to help a person figure out which one of those strategies really is best for them. I don't really think there is a best one. Okay. So, you know, some of my clients come in and they hate all their debt. Like, they don't have an emotional <laughs> attachment to any of it. Like, they just want it all gone. Okay. And other clients like that one, she had one that was very toxic. Right. So we're going to focus on that one. Okay. Um, Again, other clients come in and they don't need motivation to pay off debt. They're so ready to go and fired up that they're going to get out of it no matter what. Well, let's do the highest interest rate because it's going to save you money over time. Um, And then other clients, they really, they come in, they're like, we don't really know if we want to get our debt. Oh, look at that shiny thing over there that I want to go buy. So we're going to do the one with the lowest balance because I need them to experience how fun it can be to actually Mm. pay off debt. So, you know, my rule of thumb with clients, if um, if you're not sure... Pick one. Yeah. Pick one because guess what? It's right. Yeah. You know, there's no one. bad decision there. If you are getting out of debt, you should feel awesome about it. What I don't want you to do is pick a debt and then talk to a friend, read a blog, you know, listen to a radio <laughs> show that says don't do it that way. You actually need to do it this way. So you stop and switch. Yeah. Because then that feels like, oh, you're proud of yourself. And then all of a sudden you start to doubt yourself. Right. Or I'd rather have you just keep focusing on getting out of debt. Yeah. Now, I heard you use the words doubt yourself. And mm-hmm. I think that that ha- the lack of confidence that a lot of people feel when they're dealing with money is kind of at the root of a lot of these problems. Don't you see that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So just not having a plan or not being able to see very clearly the impact of a decision you make today on Mm. your budget a month from now or next paycheck makes people feel as if everything they're doing is they should question it or they should feel guilty about Mm. it. So yeah, this feeling of guilt or just a lack of confidence is so prevalent in spending money. When really, the way I tell people is that there are times where you go to Target and you spend $100 and it's no big deal. Yeah. No, there's no harm done. Right. And then there are times where you go to Target and spend $100, and that was a big deal. It yeah. means you can't make a payment later in the month or something. I simply want you to know the impact of a decision before you make it. 
And so how do we know that? How do we learn what the impact of our decision is going to be? Do you use the dreaded B word? I do. Oh, no, no. I know. <laughs> this is, I mean, I feel like people run in the opposite direction of me when I tell them that I do budgeting for a living. But um, <laughs> the, the truth is, is nobody, you know, the idea of budgeting is not sexy. Nobody right. wants to be on a budget. Um, but I also feel like the, the normal way of budgeting is very flawed. So okay. m- the idea of a monthly budget in my opinion, most people don't live their life that way. So mm. you don't get all of your income on the first day of the month. So you put all your income <laughs> at the top. Right. And then you don't pay all of your expenses on the second day of the month. Or if you have $400 budgeted for groceries, you don't go on one trip and spend exactly $400. <laughs> right. There's this timing factor to real life. I actually ask so, like just about everybody who comes in, have you ever tried budgeting before? And everybody says yes. Mm-hmm. And yet most of those people say, well, I sat down, I filled out this form, and I swear I had everything on it for the month, and it said I was supposed to have money left. (laughs) And then they say, but I got to the end of the month, and I don't know what happened, but I didn't have any money left. And then here's the key, is they say, I must have done something wrong. Oh, my Lord. So they blame themselves. You know, this lack of confidence or the feeling of everybody else is out there budgeting, and yet I can't do it. I must be stupid or whatever the case may be, when really that form of budgeting, I kind of wish it was never created, to be honest. I wish that's not what people considered. What I call budgeting, and if um, if I could just say this really quickly, a little... plug. Yeah. Um, I have, if you just type in how to budget fiscal fitness, there's a whole tutorial that comes up. It's a PDF document that you can, um, read through on how to do this. But um, in Excel, you simply budget by pay period. So money comes in, have a written plan of exactly what is going out for that pay period. Mm -hmm. You know, in Excel, type in how much is left. And then that number carries over to the next paycheck because it should still be sitting in your checking account at the next, the next time money comes in. Great point. Your paycheck comes in, you ex- have everything listed and so forth. And um, I've got some examples on there where if you do this, it actually becomes a very fluid thing. Because mm, okay. the issue with the old form of budgeting, or the most common, I should say, it's mm-hmm. not old, everyone's still doing it, right. um, is that it's very static. It's very two-dimensional. One right. month actually doesn't touch another month, but we know in real life it's all connected. That all happens. So yeah. I think a better way of budgeting is... Um, this Excel template that I sort of have out there that shows you how it's all connected. And actually in Excel, we'll connect it all for you. Huh. Okay. So now um, the bigger question that that I have on my mind, and because we're on the business channel here at Voice America, (laughs) I have to ask this question. How I don't get a paycheck. I'm I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a small business owner. How do you address that with those entrepreneurs or small business owners that just take money whenever they need to out of their business and call it a paycheck? Ah, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so to get organized, and this is probably an hour-long workshop all Absolutely. by itself, but um, the first thing you have to do is you have to put together what your personal budget is. So what okay. are all of your personal expenses? That's going to tell you how much do you need to make every month or how much your paycheck needs to be from your business into your personal. Okay. Okay. And this is key. If I could make one change for every business owner, it is to create a steady paycheck amount. Mm, okay. Because what happens otherwise is if you can just take a draw whenever you want out of your business, oh. then that means that your personal spending decisions affect the growth of your business. Wow. Which is dangerous. That is very dangerous. Right? Yeah. So if you can decide, here's, I'm going to take $3,000 a month as my paycheck, you are now forced to live off of $3,000 dollars a month. You're forced to keep that in line and keep all of your spending within that. And then everything extra is in the business and you can choose to reinvest it. Mm-hmm. You can choose to update your website. You can mm-hmm. choose to do some marketing that maybe you didn't think you could afford or that kind of thing. Mm. And then that also makes it so that even though revenue coming in fluctuates, right. what you feel into your personal account is very steady. 
Does uh, that make sense? That absolutely makes sense. So if I'm hearing you correctly, then it's really having a business budget, a personal budget, and a plan for whether you're on a payroll or not, taking X amount out of your business account so that you actually are kind of forced in your personal life to live on that budget. Yes, thank okay. and I'm glad you clarified that because when I say paycheck, a lot of people are intimidated by that. Right. You don't need to be on payroll. Right. This is it can simply be a steady and consistent transfer from the business account to the personal. So right. whether you're gonna do that on the first of every month the first and the 15th, okay. but I want it to be a very set standard, mm-hmm. you know, and it can be just a transfer. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be, like, you know, through a payroll company. Right. Um, it can be much simpler than that. Right. Um, the other thing that that does is it forces you that in the business, you know, you have a bill. It's ah, like a bill to okay. the business. So it's a fixed number that you know you need to make. Yep. Yeah. That I absolutely love that idea. I think that's a, a huge. Now, do you then suggest that small business owners, entrepreneurs have a business checking account and a personal checking account? Is that what I'm hearing? Absolutely. Two accounts? Yes. Oh, oh my gosh. gosh. You know, and it sounds overwhelming at first, but I actually feel like what it does is it helps you to see your mm. business finances versus your personal decisions much more clearly. Right, right. So when it's all commingled, the I think there's two big hurdles that business owners have. One is not being able to see clearly what's business and what's personal. Right. And then the second fear, and I feel like business owners fear this constantly, even if they're not saying it, taxes. Oh, without a doubt. And because they can't clearly see what's business and what's personal, they have no idea what their bottom line is. They mm-hmm. don't know how many deductions they have. And so they're constantly living in fear or worry of what's my tax liability going to be and am I going to be ready for it? Yeah. Where when you have everything coming out of the business checking account that's mm-hmm. for business yep. and you're taking a steady paycheck, you're very able to clearly see your tax situation a lot mm. better. Like if you're if you end the year with twenty thousand dollars in your business checking account, you're probably going to have around a twenty thousand dollar profit yeah. that you're going to have to pay taxes on. <laughs> Great you know? point. Hello. Um, also, if you're taking a thousand dollars a month as a paycheck versus five thousand dollars a month, that's the, you know a difference of making twelve thousand dollars a year in income mm-hmm. versus sixty thousand dollars a year mm-hmm. in income. And by taking a steady paycheck, you can actually see it. Mm, that's a great point. I love that. That absolutely makes sense. Um, so tell us a little bit more about how you would work with small business owners and entrepreneurs in kind of helping them figure all of this stuff out. Because what I find a lot of times with those people that come into my practice is that they really don't, they're good at making the money, really good at making the money, but they're not necessarily good at thinking about the strategic ways to spend it. So how would you be able to help? Yeah, good question. So they a, a person always has two options, and it really depends on if they want to do it themselves. I offer a kind of a DIY approach, and then I also offer where I sit down in every single appointment. I'm doing it in bite-sized chunks with them. Okay. So the the one option is called the, you know, I do workshops. So cash, clarity, and control for the entrepreneur. They can come to a 90-minute workshop at my office. Um, I've got a classroom there, so and it's out of Mesa, Arizona. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so local peeps can come and <laughs> check us out. And they're going to learn exactly how to set everything up. They get all the worksheets. They get all the documents. They get all the templates. They pretty much get everything they need to then go home and simply do it. Okay. Okay. The other option is called the Eureka session. And for business owners, it's three hours long. So it's actually two 90-minute sessions because let's be honest, three <laughs> hours of budgeting talk is Sounds a very miserable. long time, yes. right? Um, I mean, I think it's a lot of fun. but <laughs> We don't. I'm yeah. just here to tell you yes. that. <laughs> um, so where I actually go through everything and do it with them. Okay. So I'm going to kind of force them to pick numbers. I'm going to help 
help them to come up with a budget. I'm going to mm-hmm. tell them here's a good number for marketing. But um, at the same time, I actually, the three hours we do business and personal at the exact okay. same time. So it does cover both, which okay. is nice. That is nice. Now, will you do one without the other? What if I don't want you to look at my business? It depends. So if you if you have more than three employees, chances are you already have sort of a bookkeeper or somebody on staff who does that. So mm-hmm. if you have more than three employees, I don't have to have my hands in it. If you are a business owner and you're like a solopreneur or maybe an employee, I have to have my hands in both. Why? Because, good question. So <laughs> uh, they're actually very connected. Uh, okay. And if I get somebody on a personal budget, it, that's a hard thing to do. It's right. hard to go from not living on a budget to living on a budget. And mm-hmm. so if I tell you, like, here, I need, this is the budget that we come up with together, and you could simply just go take it out of the business if you want mm-hmm. without me seeing it, ah. I can only get you to make so many changes or transformations. Where if I actually see both, right, um, I can actually help you to manage both. Okay. You know, they are very. Maybe we you have a business goal, okay, and we need to m- take less of a paycheck so we can keep more in the business. And I want to help you with your personal budget to get that as refined as possible. Got it. Does, it also, from a tax standpoint. Um, I have a master's degree in accounting, an MBA in accounting. And so I do feel like since they're so connected, I can actually have you maybe switch some of your expenses to be paid out of the business for a better tax deduction. So by having my hands in both, I can actually really save my clients a lot of money. Oh, okay. Got it. So you're looking at it from a strategic perspective as well as a behavior perspective. Yes. Uh (laughs) I think that behavior is the one thing that probably is the hardest for you to deal with would be my guess. I'm hard, but I mean, I love it. Uh, yeah, so, yeah. It's, it's obvious you do, and God bless you. Thank you. <laughs> because I wouldn't be able to handle that side of my clients' lives uh, nearly as well as you do. And and that's kind of, you know, what I want to talk about in our last segment, really, are some of the big, um, whether they're technical or behavioral sort of mistakes that people make. And what are some of the things we can do to not only avoid those, but if we find ourselves having made those mistakes, how do we fix that problem? And one of the things that I wanted to sort of bring up as we're going into the break is I get asked the question a lot as an investment advisor, should I take money out of my 401k IRA, whatever the case is, to pay off debt? Should I do that to pay off my house? Um, and I see you shaking your head no over there. I agree 100% with you. But when you're in panic mode, that feels like the right decision to so many people. And yet it leads to co- unintended consequences for years and years and years. And so that's one of those mistakes that I want to talk a little bit more about when we come back. But I think that before people make that big mistake, they probably have made a whole bunch of other little ones along the way that if we hadn't made those, we might not be in this kind of dire situation to begin with because what I think a lot of us do, and I'm guilty of this too, is, is you know, kind of just doing whatever is going to make the pressure go away. Yes. You know? I was just going to say that sometimes I think it's better to spend a little bit of money to delay a decision. Oh, so okay. a good example is let's say you get into a car accident and your car, you, you know, you're, you have to replace that car right mm-hmm. away or your car breaks down. Right. Okay. Instead of going and making a bad decision that weekend to maybe get into a car payment you can't afford or you haven't maybe taken some time to let all of that simmer right. or just let some of the dust settle, right. go rent a car for one week. Oh, that's a great yes, idea. Yes, you're going to have to pay for that rental car, mm-hmm. but if it co- sort of takes you out of panic mode. So you right. you said panic mode and yeah. I sort of got a stomachache because I feel like people make 
big financial moves under panic or duress, and that's really dangerous. The worst time to do it. Yeah. So anything you can do to just take a step back and say, I'm going to buy myself a little bit of time. And yes, I'm going to buy that time. I'm going to pay for it. Wow. But the impact of spending a little bit on a car repair will hopefully save, or I'm sorry, you know, car rental, Mm -hmm. will hopefully make it so that you make a better decision that doesn't cost you for years out. Oh, wow. I love that. I love that. Because I think that that's, you know, the thing that we do the most as as human beings is try to escape pain. Mm-hmm. And if Very it's, true. you know, and, it, and if that means making a bad decision, then uh, we'll deal with the consequences later in a lot of cases. But I love buying that, that, that concept. And we'll talk a lot more about that when we come back from our break. This is Making Money Fun with Shanna Tingem. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Are you going through a life change like divorce, death of a spouse, or starting a business? Are you tired of financial professionals talking at you instead of with you? Are you worried that you may not have enough money to retire or to live the lifestyle you want in retirement? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then you need to contact Heritage Financial Strategies today. At Heritage Financial Strategies, we'll get to know your goals and dreams and design a plan together to get to achieve those dreams. Call 480-397-1184 or visit heritagefinancialad.com. My goal is to develop a relationship where you feel like you can ask me any question and know that I'll give you an honest answer. Again, that's 480-397-1184 or heritagefinancialad.com. Shanna Tinjum, Registered Representative, Securities offered through Cambridge Investment Research, Inc., a broker-dealer, member FINRA, SIPC. Shannon Tinjum, Investment Advisor Representative, Cambridge Investment Research Advisors, Inc., a registered investment advisor. Cambridge and Heritage Financial Strategies are not affiliated. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. are listening to Making Money Fun with your host, Shanna Tinjum. To reach Shanna or her guest today, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to Shanna at heritagefinancialaz.com. Now, back to Making Money Fun. Welcome back to Making Money Fun. I'm your host, Shanna Tingem, here today with Kelsa Dickey from Fiscal Fitness Phoenix. And we're going to wrap the show up today um, with a really fun subject, talking about mistakes and things <laughs> that you probably shouldn't have done or shouldn't do. And Kelsa, you may not even know this story, but your, your uh, story at the end of the last segment reminded me of, of a time when I probably should have rented a car and didn't. So I was starting my business in 2010, working crazy, crazy hours, and was rear-ended on the 101 heading to a training class, totaled my car, and my uh, beloved uh, dog that I'd had for 12 years, we just had to put him to sleep the week before, so emotionally I was a wreck, and now I have... I'm in a wreck, and I have a car that I have to replace. And I made a really stupid emotional purchase. I sent my, I found one online that I liked. It was cute. It was a little BMW um, 3 Series convertible. Sent my husband and my dad out to look at it. They bought it, brought it home. And two weeks later, in the middle of the Arizona summer, the um, transmission explodes in the middle of an intersection. I got two weeks out of 
about a $9,000 investment. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) And I look back at that, and I'm like, I just didn't want to deal with it. I made a really stupid emotional decision, and I wish that I had just rented a car for a couple of weeks. And that may have stopped me from making a really bad purchase. Exactly. Yeah, I'm yeah. sorry. No, that's okay. <laughs> it was an awful experience, but one that helped me realize that you know sometimes it's okay to spend some money to buy yourself time until you can make the right decision. And maybe it was even for me making the right decision with a clearer head. Yes. You know. And I also think too. I try to remind clients that we've all made bad financial mm. moves, every, even myself included. And mm-hmm. the if we can learn something from it, the next time that happens, you're going to take a step back. You're not going to jump into a car situation like that again. Yep. And so as long as we can say, well, I've learned from that mistake, then that's really the purpose of that mistake for yeah. some reason. We need to learn that. I don't <laughs> yeah. know why. I'm sorry that you need to no, learn that. No, that's okay. I, apparently <laughs> I did. But yeah, I think that happens with a lot of us. It's it's that, you know, we until we're really confronted with a situation, we don't know what we don't know. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And it also leads me to, you know, we were talking over the break about uh, parents with kids. Mm. And I do think that this is definitely a dispute that a lot of couples have is how are you talking to your kids about money or do they get allowance? Does my 13-year-old get an iPhone? You mm. know, the you it really depends on where, where did you come from. Right. And um, the point of having your children in your home and talking to them about money so that they can learn these mistakes while they're in the safety and security of your home. That's a great point. And so you, it's so, we know that if your 16 year old daughter spends money, you know, going to the movies. And so now on Saturday, she can't go to the school dance. Let's say Mm. we know that in her world, that will be the end of her world. Right? (laughs) Like we know that that's a big deal. Right. But we also know that later in life, whether you can pay a car payment or a mortgage, but you can't pay both, mm. is a much bigger deal. Right. We, we need a child to learn from those lessons while they're in the safety and security of the house mm-hmm. for, so that they don't have to learn them when they're older. Yeah. With a $9,000 car mistake, <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> no, I think that's fair. Now, you talk about kids, and what do you believe as far as allowance? How do, how do you believe, um, especially working with your clients, that works or doesn't work? I, and this is such a heated topic. It yeah. really is. But yeah. my belief is that the best way to teach kids about money is to put it in their hands. Oh, okay. I really do believe that. So I actually offer one of my workshops is how to talk to your kids about money. And I mm. have it broken down by age. So okay. at every single age, age five versus age 15, yeah. for example, a five-year-old, we're not going to talk to them about compound interest. <laughs> you know? Right. Um, so at every age, what lesson do we want to try and teach them? And how are we going to teach it? What conversations, what games are we going to play? And so mm. forth. Um, and so a lot of people are just overwhelmed by the idea. Right. But really, my theory when it comes to children, and I see it time and time again, is that if you give them the money and it becomes their money through allowance, the way they spend their money will be very different than the way they spend your money. Yep. And we want to empower them to make that decision and feel really good about a decision that they're making, whether they're going to buy something and love it. They're going to buy something, maybe regret it, mm-hmm. or they're going to save money. Like yeah. we want them to f- to think that's a lot of fun, and they're going to think it's a lot more fun when it's their own money, right? Versus when it, it's mom and dad's. Now, do you have a rule of thumb for a percentage of allowance that a kid should get? I don't. Okay. No, I don't. I know that's not sexy. It really has a lot to do with um, a person's cash flow mm-hmm. situation, yep. um, the child, and okay. what kinds of things they're doing or what okay. they're. I mean. My thing is that there's certain things a child should do because they're part of the house. Right. Okay. They don't get paid for those. And then there's a number of things that they do in order to get paid for them. Um, and some 
you know, what a child enjoys doing is different for the child. Some kids like to be outside, maybe doing yard work. And some, uh, you know, one kid might like to be inside organizing a closet. Yeah. And so really the, how much you pay them is maybe based on that. Okay. Versus a set amount. Okay. That makes sense. And does it also have to do um, or relate a little bit to the income of the household, I'm guessing, right? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. And so, you know, income, cash flow. Okay. Because, and I always say cash flow because, you know, I have clients who make $30,000 a year and have extra. Right. And then I have clients who make $400,000 a year and, and have nothing. Have left. nothing yes. extra. So to me, it's not necessarily income, Got it's it. cash flow. Okay. So mm-hmm. what they have left after all the bills and, and all that fun stuff is paid. Exactly. And then mm-hmm. do you have a preferred method for how they handle? that allowance as far as, you know, weekly, monthly, um, you know, any, any suggestions there? It should start uh, more frequently at a younger age. Okay. Um, you know, if you think about a week to a five-year-old mm-hmm. is a very long time. <laughs> right. A week to a 15-year-old isn't so bad. Yeah. So you start off, you know, uh, maybe daily mm-hmm. for a very young kid um, and you're helping them manage mm-hmm. that. You know, mm-hmm. maybe it's in person or, I mean, I'm sorry, it's like live money. Sure. Um, and then later, maybe you're giving your 16-year-old a check and they have to go deposit it every yeah. two weeks into their account. Nice. See that? that makes so, sense. Um, it's sort of as as, it, as they get older, you're slowly transitioning to more of a paycheck structure. Got it. Okay. Well, and I will just throw a plug in here as well. I have um, an offer for everybody that's listening. I subscribe to a service called FamZoo, which is a really cool way for you to teach your kids about allowance and money. And it actually gives you and gives them a debit card that you can transfer money between. They cannot overdraft it. And it's a way for you kind of to manage that allowance process in your family. And so anybody that's listening, if you want a free subscription, just go to my website at heritagefinancialaz.com and you'll you'll um, be able to take a look there at the um, resources um, tab and you'll see FamZoo. Go ahead and sign up and I'll give you a free free subscription for your family to use. And it's a cool way to teach your kids about how to make that whole allowance process work and also the responsible use of a debit card. That a debit card is different than a credit card and uh, a debit card means you can't spend money you don't have. Right. <laughs> so I think that's important yeah. to teach them at that young age. Um, and um, one tip that I have for parents that I t- that is more about training the parents ah, than the, okay. the kids is when your child comes to you, let's say they're getting a study allowance, but then they have something big coming up. And mm-hmm. so every child at some point will want something and want to earn money. Okay. Okay. Whether that's they want a new phone, they want a new iPad, any number of things. Okay. okay. When they come to you and say, what can I do to earn money? you're not allowed to give them an answer, okay, which is really tricky for a parent. Your answer is to tell them to go around the house and find something that needs to be done. Mm -hmm. In other words, you're expecting them to observe around them and find a need and solve that need and make money doing it. I love it. You're teaching them to be a little entrepreneur. Exactly, yeah. (laughs) Well, if you just give them an answer like, oh, go do this, go do that, one, you're going to be constantly fielding that, and that gets exhausting. Right. You know, so... You know, teaching them to go uh, walk around the house and find something that needs to be done, they'll get really good at it. Wow, I love that idea. Good. Well, and that's teaching them how to be self-sufficient as they get older, which is sort of a pet peeve of mine. I see a lot of clients in my office who are still giving money or helping out fully capable adult children mm-hmm. and we, we've we've all heard of the boomerang generation and and all of that fun stuff and and so tell me, Kelsa, what your sort of feelings or thoughts are with respect to 
parents helping out adult children. Okay. I do think it is okay for a child, like, after college to come back, Mm -hmm. maybe, you know, live at home for a little while, save some money. I think one of the worst things that could happen is that they're at home for a couple of years and they have nothing to show for it, no money in savings. So um, one of the best things that I think a parent can do, though, this is not about making money off of your children. Mm -hmm. So I want to make that very clear. Mm -hmm. But you know, you don't have to charge them rent or anything like that. But I do think making them responsible for a bill like mm. the electric bill yep. or the water bill, something that fluctuates, again, especially the electric bill, they will go around and start turning lights off or they'll make sure that the sliding glass door isn't <laughs> a little open in the summer with yes. the AC escaping, you know. Yes. Um, and simply helping them to take responsibility over a bill yep. is really is really crucial. I also think, you know, maybe for that middle age, maybe not adult, uh, maybe high school. Okay. I think a cell phone is one of the best ways to teach a child between the difference between a need and a want. Okay. Because if you think about it, I do think a cell phone nowadays is a need. Like we want our children to have them for the safety and security. If they need to contact us, we want them to be able to get to us. Right. But I think data on a cell phone nowadays is a pure luxury. Ah. Whether they're surfing Facebook or the, you know, Instagram, any number of things, that is a want. Yes. And so have something that they have to do be tied to that because they will want that. They will Hmm. not want to give that up. So either they have to get all A's and B's or they, you know, have to go to church every Sunday. Any number of things that makes it so that Otherwise, that is a luxury and you're willing to pay for it so long as these other things happen. Wow. I love that. Oh, good. Um, that is, that's really cool because then that does kind of di- differentiate the difference between a need and a want. Mm-hmm. And now you mentioned when you've got a kid that moves back after college to make them responsible for something. And I've heard in some circumstances where mom and dad have said, hey, I want you to pay me $250 a month in rent. And yet they're putting that into a savings account so that, you know, when junior gets ready to launch, they can say, okay, you know, here's X percentage of your money back or whatever as a little reward for sort of making those hitting those goals along the way. Do you think something like that is, is beneficial? I do. I, you know, one part of me wonders, are you doing it for them though? And right. not really helping them right. to, you know, teach them how to do it. So I've always liked the matching concept mm, where okay. for everything you save, we'll save too. Oh, that nice. way they okay. get rewarded for doing it themselves as well. So they get to see that as they go and really feel the sense of accomplishment. And it's a skill. So money yeah. is definitely a skill. And so you want them to practice over and over and over again. And if you do it for them. If you save their money for them, Mm. you're not really giving them the practice. Yeah. Well, and that's something that we don't teach in school today at all. And in, in, in elementary or high school or college even, which is terrifying to me, honestly. Right. But we, it's incumbent on the parents and their communities to really help them understand this as they're becoming adults. Yes. And I do think, you know, money is such a value-based thing. So, you know, whether or not a family tithes, right. for example, that's that's a religious thing. That's a family-based thing. I don't always think that all of this can be taught in a yeah. school. Yeah. I do think some of the skills should, yes, you know, how to balance a checkbook, how to, you know, what is a checking account and that sort of thing. But when it comes to how do we spend our money, what's mm-hmm. important to us? Do we give to charity? How much do we save? I do think that those are very value-based things. And so mm-hmm. it is kind of on a parent to sit down and talk to that, to, you know, talk to your kids about that stuff. Oh, that makes sense completely. What's What are some of the other big mistakes you see people make um, that maybe they could, uh, by taking some of your advice today, eliminate that as a po- possibility for making that mistake? Uh, you know, 
we talked a little bit about the 401k loan or bar, taking out of your 401 and really any sort of investment yes. that you've been putting money into. And then if you take it out for something other than that purpose. So yeah. I just, I truly believe in having a clearly defined purpose okay. to different buckets of your money. Okay. So if it's in your 401k, that's for retirement. Right. So you don't touch it for anything other than retirement, you know? <laughs> Fair enough. Um, if you had a savings account for a house down payment, then use that for a house down payment. But, you know, having a clearly defined, a lot of people have money in the savings account at their bank. Um, and that's technically in their mind, their emergency fund, but mm. they're, they'll also dip into it for maybe a little bit of a vacation spending money, which is not <laughs> an emergency, you know? Right. So, um, you know, having a very clearly defined purpose to your to your funds and not really touching it for anything other than that purpose okay. is is key. I think That's that important. helps. It really makes people hold themselves accountable. Okay, okay. That, that totally makes sense. Um, anything else that you want the listeners to know, Kelsa, about how they can maybe save a little bit of money and start to pay off debt or budget or anything that we haven't talked about up to this point that you really want people to know? Oh gosh, there are so many things. <laughs> and on, you know, really and truly, I have so many different articles on my website on you know the ten biggest bills and how to back on those bills okay. and ways to save with your spending money versus eating out. I mean, I have so many different articles that okay. I, I really just would hope people would go there and, sure. and read and see which ones apply to them. Okay. Let's remind us again, your website and contact information. So those that are listening can get in touch with you. Yes. It is fiscalfitnessaz.com. So F-I-S-C-A-L, fiscalfitnessaz.com. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you can also call the office. We're happy to talk to anybody, 480 788 Four five eight eight. The website also has the calendar the, of events, so mm-hmm. any upcoming workshops that we've got, um, whether it's talking to your kids about money, investing, yep. taxes, budgeting, okay. uh, the cash clarity and control for entrepreneurs as well. Okay, great. And another plug for the uh, Investing 101 class. We're actually doing that tomorrow in Mesa. So if you are looking for information on investing, and this will be held at Kelsa's office in Mesa. So go to her website that she just gave you, and you'll be able to register for that for that class at 10 a.m. tomorrow morning in Mesa. So there's so much information. I love your website, and it's got a, just a wealth of information. And what I tell my clients is that the money that they spend on the Eureka session with Kelsa will be the but literally the best money they've ever spent. It is Thank it you. is life changing. It's Thank I'm you. not, and I don't kid when I say that. So if you're at all interested, please go to her website and get signed up for whichever Eureka session is the most appropriate for you. And I am uh, super excited to say that Kelsa is going to be back with us next um, week as well on Friday, where we're going to talk all about what what a financial professional like me doesn't do when it comes to your money. And so she'll be back with us for next Friday's uh, broadcast as well. Um, and I will say goodbye for now. And thank you all for listening. My name is Shanna Tingem with the Making Money Fun Show. Thanks for tuning in today. Be sure to catch the next episode of Making Money Fun with Shanna Tinjum. Live next Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great weekend and an amazing week. Discussions in this show should not be construed as specific recommendations or investment advice. Always consult with your investment professional before making important investment decisions. Securities offered through Cambridge Investment Research, Inc., a registered broker-dealer, member FINRA SIPC. Shanna Tinjum, Investment Advisor Representative, Cambridge Investment Research Advisors, Inc., a registered investment advisor. Cambridge, guests on this show, and Heritage Financial Strategies are not affiliated.